The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. This evening I will be reading from Hosea chapter 9. So we continue in our series through the book of Hosea. I believe that's page 640 in your pew Bibles. I'll be reading the entire chapter. I invite you to follow along as I read. Hosea 9 is a very sober chapter. A message of judgment, God's punishment upon Israel for her sins. And as we read it, as we meditate on it, It's been my prayer that we will approach it with an an, an attitude of humility, that we'll recognize the danger we all face if we do not repent and turn to God, but also the great mercy that is available to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. So, uh, as we read Hosea chapter 9, I will invite you, if you're willing and able, to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. It is a long chapter, if you don't want to stand that long. That's fine, you may sit, but Hosea chapter 9, may we hear the word of the Lord. Do not rejoice, O Israel. Do not be jubilant like the other nations, for you have been unfaithful to your God. You love the wages of a prostitute at every threshing floor. Threshing floors and wine presses will not feed the people. The new wine will fail them. They will not remain in the Lord's land Ephraim will return to Egypt and eat unclean food in Assyria. They will not pour out wine offerings to the Lord, nor will their sacrifices please Him. Such sacrifices will be to them like the bread of mourners. All who eat them will be unclean. This food will be for themselves. It will not come into the temple of the Lord. What will you do on the day of your appointed feasts, on the festival days of the Lord? Even if they escape from destruction, Egypt will gather them. And Memphis will bury them. Their treasures of silver will be taken over by briars, and thorns will overrun their tents. The days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this. Because your sins are so many and your hostility so great, the prophet is considered a fool. The inspired man, a maniac. The prophet, along with my God, is the watchman over Ephraim. Yet snares await him on all his paths and hostility in the house of his God. They have sunk deep into corruption, as in the days of Gibeah. God will remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. When I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your fathers, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. But when they came to Baal Peor, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. Ephraim's glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. Even if they rear children, I will bereave them of every one. 
Woe to them when I turn away from them. I have seen Ephraim like Tyre, planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim will bring out their children to the slayer. Give them, O Lord, what will you give them? Give them wombs that miscarry and breasts that are dry. Because of all their wickedness in Gilgal, I hated them there. Because of their sinful deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will no longer love them. All their leaders are rebellious. Ephraim is blighted. Their root is withered. They yield no fruit. Even if they bear children, I will slay their cherished offspring. My God will reject them because they have not obeyed him. They will be wanderers among the nations. This is the word of God. May he give us ears to hear. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we ask that you would enable us this evening to receive your word with meekness for the salvation of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1993, then-President Clinton named Christine Gebby, a lesbian, as the first AIDS czar. And four months into her appointment, she spelled out her perceptions on traditional morality with these words. The United States needs to view human sexuality as an essentially important and pleasurable thing. Until it does so, we will continue to be a repressed Victorian society that misrepresents information, denies homosexual sexuality, particularly in teens, and leaves people abandoned with no place to go. I can help just a little bit in my job, she said, standing on the White House lawn talking about sex with no lightning bolts falling on my head. Now, there's a lot of things about that story that may upset or disturb you, but it's the last part of her statement that is particularly relevant to our passage tonight, where she is basically saying, I can promote a view and a practice of sexuality that is clearly forbidden in God's word, and no lightning bolts, no judgment will fall on my head. In other words, God does not care. It's not wrong. There will be no punishment. No judgment will come. Like the Israelites in Hosea chapter 9. For many people in America, sin has become a normal part of their everyday lives. We have gotten so used to hearing about the love and the grace of God that we forget about His judgment. We become so accustomed to the long-suffering patience of God that we forget it is designed to lead us to repentance, not make us apathetic towards our sin. Reminds me of Ecclesiastes 8, where God's word says, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Because the lightning bolts don't come immediately, we think they will never come. And so we continue in our sin. But the truth is, while judgment may not be swift, it is dreadful when it comes. And it is coming. God's word says it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. Those who think 
that the lightning bolts, that God's judgment won't fall, are sadly mistaken. The truth is, no sin will be left unpunished. As Hosea 9 makes clear, the whole chapter is a description, a declaration of God's just judgment. Hosea chapter 9 tells us that judgment, punishment, is coming to Israel because of her sin. It's a picture of what people who reject God can expect to receive from Him. It is a picture of what we all deserve. In this chapter, Hosea will confront Israel for her sins, showing how well-earned, how well-deserved are her punishments. And it provides us with an opportunity to examine ourselves and to repent and to turn to God. Well, as we look at this chapter, the first thing we see in the opening verses is that Israel has been unfaithful to her God. Israel is guilty of prostitution, both literally and spiritually. Now, Hosea, he probably delivered the opening part of this oracle as a sermon on the occasion of a harvest festival. It was normally the time of joy at the conclusion of the harvest. It would have included feasting and laughter and celebration and dancing, a big party. Coming disaster would have been the furthest thought to enter into anyone's mind at that time. But Hosea calls for the party to end, for the people to be held accountable. He says in verse 1, Do not rejoice, O Israel. Do not be jubilant like the other nations. Why? Because you have been unfaithful to your God. Israel is alluded to as a harlot, as a prostitute. Just as Hosea's wife, Gomer, had been unfaithful to Hosea, now Israel has been unfaithful to her God. God was telling Israel, you are just like Gomer, the unfaithful and the adulterous wife. Verse 1 goes on to say that the people have loved the wages of a prostitute at every threshing floor. And what this means is that Israel did not regard the harvest blessing of the threshing floors as gifts of the goodness of God, but instead as presents from the false god Baals whom she worshipped through her sexual perversion and prostitution. Israel had joined herself to another husband, to the heathen nations around her, celebrating in a God-ignoring way the blessings of the harvest. In fact attributing the blessings of the harvest to the Baals. But the truth was, the blessings that Israel enjoyed, even in her apostasy, even in her unfaithfulness, were from God. And Hosea warned that the day of reckoning was at hand. Indeed, the Lord could not leave this denial of His gracious benefits unpunished. Verse 7 says, The days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. And so verse 2 says that they will no longer enjoy the fruits of the harvest. And verse 3 says that they will be kicked out of the Lord's land and return to the bondage and oppression that they experienced in Egypt. Israel had persisted in her adultery and her unfaithfulness, and her sin would not go unpunished. She would learn that it is a serious sin to ignore God, to not acknowledge Him or give him thanks. And we see this 
same truth presented to us in Romans chapter 1, where Paul is laying out the wrath of God against mankind. And he says in verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So what about you? Have you been unfaithful to God by failing to acknowledge him in your life? By failing to give him thanks? By failing to give him the glory, the honor, the credit that he deserves? God's word says in James chapter 1 that every good and perfect gift from above, coming down from the Father, every good thing you have is an undeserved gift from God. Are you acknowledging him? Are you giving him thanks? Are there areas in your life where you are not giving thanks to God? Blessings that you are taking credit for yourself. God's word also says in 1 Corinthians 4, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Paul asks us this rhetorical question to remind us that everything we have is a gift from God, and it's to result in humility and thanksgiving and worship and praise as we acknowledge God. In Romans chapter 11, Paul has been meditating on the gracious plan and character of God. And then at the end of the chapter, he bursts forth forth into this kind of spontaneous praise, a doxology of sorts. And he, he writes in God's word, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul asks another rhetorical question. Who has given a gift to God that he might be repaid? And the obvious answer is no one. There's not a single one of us that has put God in our debt that he owes us anything. God owes us nothing. And the God who owes us nothing has given us everything. From him, through him, to him are all things Are you acknowledging God? Are you giving him thanks? Do his undeserved, unearned gifts lead you to humbly thank him? Do not be unfaithful like Israel. Remember, acknowledge, humbly thank the one true God. Every good gift comes from him. Well, secondly, Israel's unfaithfulness was also expressed and her rejection of God's word. Verse 17 at the end of the chapter tells us that God will reject them because they have not obeyed him. They have not listened to him. They did not give attention to God's law or his judgments. They did not believe what he said, nor would they be ruled by him, though he made them and rescued them and loved them. They would not be ruled by him. They paid no attention to God's word. It was as if the word of Almighty God had no significance in their lives. They ignored God. 
Does this remind you at all of our day today? The world in which we live. People ignore God. Refuse to be ruled by his word. Treat it as if it has no authority in their lives. For the Israelites, this attitude was displayed in the way they treated his spokesperson, the prophet Hosea, as they mocked him at the end of verse 7. The prophet is considered a fool, the inspired man a maniac. Hosea had spoken of God's coming judgment in clear and passionate terms. He was concerned for the people. He wanted them to repent and return to God. But the people did not believe his message. They didn't even become angry at first. They just laughed. They mocked. They called him a fool, a madman. It was as if they were saying, who in his right mind would prophesy a judgment like this when we're in the midst of such a bountiful harvest, itself an indicator of God's blessing? And so we should take note that material blessings, worldly successes are not a guarantee of God's favor and blessing. Hosea 9 makes that clear. It was the mercy of God that enabled them to enjoy a bountiful harvest despite their sin. God was being patient with them as he is patient with us. But his patience and his kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. It was God's mercy that was keeping them alive even as they were living as God's enemies. But sadly, they continued to spurn God's mercy. They refused to repent. And eventually they turned hostile towards God's prophet. At the end of verse 8, yet snares await him on all his paths and hostility in the house of his God. And verse 7 tells us that it was because their sins were so many that they reacted in this way. You see, sin has an effect on you. It's It separates you from God, but it also hardens your heart. God's word says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Your sins separates you from God, but it also hardens your heart and turns you away from God. Rejecting God's word, ignoring him, it hardens the heart. And God removes his restraining hand, resulting in more and more sin. Deeper and deeper corruption. We see that again in Romans chapter 1. The phrase is repeated. God gave them over. As they continue to reject God, he gives them over to their sinful cravings and appetites and lusts. What about you? Are you rejecting God's word? Or are you seeking God and his word? When you hear God's word, do you strive to conform your life to it? Or do you act as if it didn't matter? As if it had no authority in your life? As if you yourself were king? Setting yourself up as your own God? Are you ignoring God by the way you live your life? And how do you respond to those whom God has given spiritual authority over your lives, the elders, the pastors in his church. In God's word, he says that we are to obey our leaders and be submissive to them. For they are watching out for our souls as those who must give an account. 
We are to let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Hebrews 13, 17 tells us. God has given you spiritual leaders for your advantage, for your good. The way you treat them reflects on your attitude toward God and His Word. Do not be like the Israelites in Hosea chapter 9. Verse 9 tells us that they sank deep into corruption. And they are compared with Gibeah. Do you remember what happened at Gibeah? In Judges 19 and 20 and 21. This infamous, unforgettable crime in the history of Israel. Where they took the Levite's concubine and gang-raped and abused her all night long and she was murdered by the Benjamites. Hosea says, you are like that, Israel. You've sunk deep into corruption. The words of Romans 1.32 are true of them. Though they know God's decree and those who practice such things, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. Their rejection of God the rejection of his word, the rejection of the prophet, the resulting sin, it leads to these terrible and terrifying words at the end of verse 9. It says, God will remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. God will remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. Let me just summarize some of that punishment that is explained in Hosea 9. The people would be kicked out, rejected, exiled, sent off to oppression, slavery. They'd experience the loss of their homes and their possessions. They would have no place to worship. God has rejected them. They have a hardened heart. They've become an abomination in God's sight. They experience the loss of glory, the loss of children, and they receive the wrath of God and the absence of his love. All because God will remember their wickedness, and punish them for their sins. God's judgment is awful and dreadful. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, God's word tells us. The New Testament describes this awful, dreadful wrath of God for us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, where we're told that he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. In Revelation, we're told that the wicked will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and they will be tormented with fire and sulfur, and the smoke of their torment goes up day and night forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Now, I don't know how you respond to those words. You know, maybe as you think about the Israelites and the sins they've committed, or, or, the, or the people that you see and hear about in our world today, and how they ignore and rebel against God, maybe you think, good, they're getting what they deserve. And yes, they are getting what they deserve. They have earned every ounce of the just judgment that they are receiving. No doubt about it. They are infinitely guilty before an infinitely holy God and their sin will be punished. 
But I wonder, what about us? Do we live with a conscious awareness of our own utter need for God's mercy? Do we understand and truly believe that these awful words are the words that we deserve to hear as well? For we also are guilty. We also have been unfaithful. We also have sinned and ignored God's word. And no sin will be left unpunished. This pronouncement of judgment in verse 9 is an awful truth. And it is a wonder that Hosea does not have to say those words to us today. But why not? Only because of the amazing grace of God. That he willingly sent his own son, Jesus Christ, as our substitute to be punished in our place. God's word says in Isaiah 53, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What good news this is for us. Because of Christ, the prophet doesn't say to us today, God will remember your wickedness and punish you for your sins. No, because of Christ, we can hear very different words, glorious Words, life-giving words. God's word says in Psalm 103, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Christ is the mediator of a new covenant For us today. And what great hope and peace this brings us. The prophet Jeremiah speaks of it in Jeremiah 31, where he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, and each one teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. What glorious words we can hear because of Christ. There is hope if you listen to God's word. God's word says in Second Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then... I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. And it's said like this in the Gospel of John, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You must respond to the word of God. 
It is a matter of eternal life and death. If you reject God and His Word and His Son, God's wrath will remain on you. He will remember your wickedness and He will punish you for your sins. His judgment, the lightning bolts, will fall. But if, if you will only repent and believe in Christ, receiving Him as your Savior and Lord, you will be forgiven forever and you will enter into His kingdom. But there is no middle way. There is no sidestepping repentance if grace is to prevail. Well, finally, we also see that Israel's unfaithfulness was also displayed in her idolatry. Chapter 10. And my finally is more than halfway through, unlike this morning. Verse 10. We see their unfaithfulness in their idolatry. It says, but when they came to Baal Peor... They consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. You see, when God's people should have been consecrating themselves to the Lord, they were instead joining themselves to idols. God had entered into a covenant with Israel. And she was violating the sacredness of that covenant in every way. Hosea portrays this idolatry as spiritual adultery. Israel is the Lord's bride. But instead of being faithfully committed, she's become attached to the Baals. She has given herself and her love and her devotion and her worship to false gods. And in doing so, she has become as vile, as detestable as the idols themselves. She has become an abomination to God. And the sin will not go unpunished. Her glory would depart. Her children would die. What about you? Are you living your life for something other than God and His glory? Are you attaching yourselves to idols? Do you love Jesus more than everything else? Is everything else rubbish? Do you love Jesus more than your job? more than your family, more than your money, more than your hobby, more than your favorite sports team. You are to have no other gods before him. And you are to no longer live for yourself, for your own desires and glory, but to submit your daily plans to the Lord and live for the glory of the one who for your sake died and was raised. Chapter 9 closes in verse 17 with a final word of judgment. My God will reject them because they have not obeyed him. They will be wanderers among the nations. And that is what happened. Their sin was not left unpunished. God did reject them. They were expelled from the land, carried away into slavery, separated from God and his love. The lightning bolts fell on their heads. God's judgment came. And what about us? What about you? Will God reject you because you have not listened to him? You see, the truth is, we are all guilty of unfaithfulness to God, of rejecting his word, of idolatry. And the truth is, no sin will be left unpunished. Not Israel's, not yours, not mine, not your children. 
not your grandchildren, not your neighbors. No one's, no sin will be left unpunished. So where is our hope? Our only hope is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Through his own Son, God has provided a way for us to be free from this punishment. God offers to reject and punish his Holy Son in your place. You know, not too long ago, I was at Oregon Dairy, and our church has a charge account at Oregon Dairy so that, uh, you know, if members of the staff are purchasing food for a, a church event, we can use this account. And one day I was there and I was getting some food for a youth ministry event, but I also was getting some food for myself, for my family. And so I had two separate orders when I got to the cashier. And I started to think about the gospel. I told the cashier, I have two orders here, and they they both have to be paid for, right? I, I couldn't just walk out with them without paying. That would be stealing. That would be unjust. Either I can pay for them myself with my own money, like this first order, or it could be charged to the account of another, like the second order that was for the church. And so I said to her, this reminds me of my sin. My sin must be paid for. No sin will be left unpunished. It must be paid for. Either I can pay for it myself and suffer the awful eternal wrath of God or amazingly, it can be charged the account of another. My sin can be laid on Jesus, the precious Son of God. The spotless Lamb of God who came to save His people from their sins. You see, grace does not excuse your sin. It doesn't just say it's okay. It pays the price for what is inexcusable. God's Word says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And in 1 Peter, God's Word tells us that we have been redeemed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without spot or blemish. Later on, it says, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds, we are healed. No sin will be left unpunished. The question is, who will bear that punishment? It is too late for the Israelites of Hosea chapter 9. But it is not too late for you. It is not too late for your children. It is not too late for your grandchildren. It is not too late for your neighbors and your relatives and those you love who may be without Christ. As long as the word of God goes forth, there is still hope. Who will be punished for your sin? It must be punished. Learn from the Israelites Do not make their mistake. Do not continue in your sin. Heed the word of God. Repent and believe the good news. Trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And if you do, if you have, you are able to sing along with all God's redeemed people. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole.
is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Amen. Amen. O gracious God, we thank you for the sacrifice your Son made on our behalf. We thank you for the freedom it brings. We thank you for your unconditional, steadfast love. In Christ, we stand complete and righteous in your sight. Your wrath has been poured out on your Son, so we do not have to be punished for our sin. What grace, what love, what mercy. Thank you for this great love for your people. May we rejoice in you and delight to sing your praises and live for your glory. And we pray for any that we know and love, any that may be here tonight, whose sins are still laid upon them. O God, be merciful to them. Open their eyes to your beauty and your glory as you have done for us and lead them to salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.